Bring, bring. Pick up your phone. It's the welcome back to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. My name is Isaiah Leininger. That was a little bit rusty, but we're going to roll with it. All right. We're, uh, it's the first time recording an episode back on the campus of Free Hardman. The school year has just started, and we're so thankful to be back with you, uh, finishing off our special guest season. As you can tell, uh, we have brought in Dr. Justin Rogers to talk about dealing with grief. Uh, we're very, very thankful to have him on the show, have his, his knowledge and his expertise. Of, but of course, uh, joining me, as, as always, not just as Dr. Rogers is here, but as always, Walker Howe is here, and, we're, and uh, I'm certainly thankful for him as well. Uh, but Dr. Rogers, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, just let them know a little bit about you, and then we can go ahead and jump into today's subject. Okay, well, I'm pleased to be with you guys. I have been employed at Freed Hardeman University since 2010. Uh, I have been, for the last four years, the director of the Graduate School of Theology, and I am really excited to get an opportunity to speak on this subject, which is practical for all of us in our lives. Most definitely. Um, and this is a subject that is difficult for some because uh, grief is not an easy thing to deal with, especially whenever, um, whenever life may be going good and then you experience a moment of grief. It, it can be hard to deal with it, and sometimes grief even affects our faith, and I think we'll get into that a little bit uh, later on in the episode. But um, before we dive into things, we always like to define our terms, and we like to define what we're talking about. And so I guess it's important to go ahead and define, well, what is grief? Um, and grief is really just a deep um, and poignant stress, uh, distress caused by or um, as if by bereavement, a cause of such suffering. That came from the dictionary. As you can tell, that is definitely not my definition <laughs> of grief. <laughs> so uh, grief is just a, a time of distress um, that's caused by certain circumstances. And so we all experience grief in different ways. Um, it can be relationship issues. It can be school. Uh, that's definitely a big factor, especially towards final exam weeks and stuff. That can be big time. Um, friendship issues, relationship issues, uh, death of a loved one, friend, um, all these things, uh, and even family issues. There, there can be a definite grief um, in those as well. I say. And and sometimes you know it feels in this life that those kind of things they all come together. You know the the, the saying is that this, these kind of things comes comes in threes. It feels like. <laughs> Uh, there's a song out there that says when it rains, it pours. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we, we just want to point out before we really get into the episode that if you are dealing with something that Walker mentioned, whether it be relationship issues or uh, loss of a loved one or, or school or work or whatever it may be, we want you to know that we're here for you. We want you to know that we love you and that God loves you. Uh, and, and, you know, the, we, we want you to know that you have someone to talk to in us if you feel like you have no one else. Uh, but, you know, like, like I was saying, these, these kind of things seem to, like, you know, when they rain, they pour, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the episode, but I'm reminded of the story of Job, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he lost all of his uh, wealth. His home was gone. His family was gone. His friends had turned on him. His wife had turned on him. His health was gone. I mean, everything that almost could go wrong for Job, it seemed like it did. Uh, and so, we're, but we're going to look at that later in the episode, how Job dealt with that grief and, and how that can be a source of comfort for you when you're dealing with some of these things. 
Most definitely. Um, and I think it's important whenever we talk about this idea of grief that we don't confuse it with mourning. Um, and I think we sometimes do that. We, we may confuse this with mourning, but mourning is defined as the expression of deep sorrow for someone. And so that's very different from experiencing something that's troubling in your life um, compared to and compared to expressing that sorrow for someone else. Um, and so we see that these are uh, somewhat similar but very different definitions. And so that brings in uh, Dr. Rogers for our first question to you, and that is what is the difference between grief and mourning? And maybe you can go into a little bit more depth than what we just discussed. Yeah. Well, I think you guys have already done a really good job of defining grief and mourning. I think that we think of grief typically as being internal, right? Mm -hmm. And mourning is more external. Mm -hmm. And so mourning is an expression of grief to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But what you often see and where it can become very dangerous is when people feel like that it's not socially acceptable to mourn. Mm -hmm. And so they hold everything in and that only compounds and magnifies their grief. And so you can see this especially uh, in the American South because there is an ethic that you withhold your emotions, sort of stiff upper lipism uh, kind of idea. And so when people are going through a legitimate time of grieving, they don't feel like they can express that. Mm -hmm. So I would say that grief to a certain extent is unhealthy. Mourning, however, can be incredibly therapeutic, um, especially you already mentioned uh, talking to somebody if you're going through grief just expressing it. I don't remember who said this, but I heard um, a psychologist say one time that speaking things into existence is one of the most therapeutic things that we have discovered for human beings to do. Just talking through your difficulties and your grief with someone and somehow makes it real enough where you can put it out there and then deal with it. And so that's something I think is really powerful um, to keep in mind if you're going through a hard time. The best thing you can do probably is find somebody to talk to. Definitely. You know, I, I remember that there's been times in my life where I've, I've had that attitude that you were talking about where, you know, I've got to, got to hide what I'm feeling or I've got to hide what I'm going through. Uh, and like you said, that, that is more damaging than anything, right? Because you're, you're holding all of that in and you're, you're bottling all of that in. And it's, it's really just corrupting you from the inside out to, uh, to put it uh, one way. Uh, and so, again, as, as Dr. Rogers mentioned and as we, we've already mentioned, you know, whether it's, it's us or, or someone in your life that you trust, if you're going through something, you know, please, please talk to them about it. But even more than that, talk to God, mm -hmm. right? Second uh, uh, Corinthians, in the, in the very beginning of that book, calls God the God of all comfort. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you are going through something that is bringing you grief or, or even uh, externally your mourning, Whatever the, the case may be, go to God. He is the God of all comfort. He is the God who gives us peace which surpasses all understanding. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get that from anyone else. There are lots of good people on this earth. There are lots of very well-trained therapists and, and counselors on this earth. None of them can give you the comfort and peace that God can. Yeah, that's a great point. And one of the things that I would say, too, is going back to what we said about expressing your grief, prayer is one of the best ways to do that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Eastern tradition still does, Western tradition has almost completely moved away from, is that is private prayer out loud. Most of the times when we pray privately, we pray silently. Mm -hmm. And silent prayer, you might be interested to know, is completely unknown in antiquity. In the world of the Bible, nobody prays silently. Everybody prays verbally, even when they're praying alone. And so I think there's a reason for that. It's because whenever you hear yourself expressing your inner feelings 
it actually has a completely different effect on, on the way you think than if you're just doing it silently. So uh, find a place where you can be alone and pray out loud. And if somebody happens to walk by, that might think you're a little weird, but that's okay. Um, because it's, it's really grounded in ancient tradition and it can be incredibly therapeutic. That, that reminds me of, of a few examples from, from uh, the scriptures. I'm reminded of, of Hannah in First Samuel chapter 1. Right. Uh, of course, if you remember the story of Hannah, you know that she was one of two wives, uh, and the other wife had lots of children, and so was kind of looked at as you know, the favorite or the, the more blessed wife, mm-hmm. and Hannah was barren. And so she goes to the temple, and she's, she's praying out loud, and uh, there's a little bit of a funny story there where, where the high priest Eli walks in, and he, and he sees her uh, talking. Yeah. But with the, but he, he can't hear what she's saying, and so he assumes that she's drunk in the temple, which is uh, kind of a funny story. But the, the, the other one that you reminded me of was the parable that Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, yeah. uh, where the Pharisee goes up to the temple, and, and he's you know praying verbally, and he's like, well, look at me, God. You're so lucky to have me. I'm, I'm such a great Pharisee. I tithe more than I should. I give to people. I fast more than I should. I'm just so awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you have the example of the tax collector who's you, you know standing far off. He won't even look up to God, and he, and he beats his breast and he says, "Be merciful to me, a sinner." Mm-hmm. And of course, we could really dive into the, to that parable, but you know that just this speaks to what you were saying about how you know prayer. It's not just an, an inward thing as we've kind of become accustomed to. The scriptures show it being an, an outward thing as well. And that parable you mentioned takes on a whole new meaning once you recognize that they are praying where other people can hear them, right? That the, the arrogance of the Pharisee is even more profound when you realize that everybody can hear him saying that. Yeah, that's a great point, Isaiah. So, um, uh, so with this, you know, we, we've been talking about grief and mourning and different things like this and, um, and, you know, we put in our outline that there are stages of grief, and we, we referenced the source here. And so the, store, the source talked about denial, anger, uh, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, and different things like this. Um, and so we asked, our question to you was, what are the five stages of grief? And we listed these, um, but maybe uh, you have a different insight. Maybe you have different stages that you think uh, Christians may experience in grief, or maybe these are the same. But just elaborate on what you think the stages of grief are. Yeah, this is uh, from, I believe, the researcher Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She wrote a book uh, about grief, and her model has become somewhat standard for the analysis of grief. Uh, I don't really know that I could disagree with that in any way. I think that the real insight, though, is even if these precise stages aren't identifiable with everyone's processing of grief, Mm -hmm. the fact that you do process through stages is an insight worth, worth mentioning because... Grief isn't the same all the way through. The person who loses her husband in a tragic accident is going to feel her grief differently in month number one than she will in month 24. She might still be grieving in some sense in month 24, but it's going to be a different kind of grief. And so I think what Kuba Ross did at the very least is call our attention to the fact that there is a process that everyone faces and um, I feel like the Bible sort of indicates that as well, as 
that even in the Psalms, that like the personal lament Psalms, and I know we're going to talk about the Psalms some later, mm-hmm. but in the personal lament Psalms, there's this growth that takes place. At first, many of them, I'm thinking of like Psalm 13 or Psalm 22, there's this accusation against God. God, how, how come you've let this happen to me? How could all this bad stuff, God, you betrayed me, you know, like all this kind of real anger, right? It feels like. But then by the end of the psalm, there is praise and exaltation of the glory of God and the kind. I don't think that that's by accident. I think a lot of modern readers of the Bible read psalms like that and they're like, well, this doesn't make sense. The beginning of the psalm doesn't match the end of the psalm. Well, that's because it's mirroring the process of human emotion and the, the uh, ability to recover from that through the help that God provides. And so I think the psalms sort of mimic the therapeutic process and the growth and healing that can take place whenever we put them first. Something that I that I find interesting about the the five stages of grief, uh, like you like you said, it, it, it is a process, right? Things things change, you know, from day to day, week to week, month to month, whatever. But something that I find interesting in, in the the few psychology classes that I've taken so far here at Free is that you know it's not the the, the pattern that we usually see. And again, as you said, everyone does, grieves differently. Mm-hmm. The pattern that we usually see, it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting is that it's not always, you know, just straightforward through that. Right. You know, you, you may jar, jump right to bargaining, then you may go back to de- denial, then you may jump up to depression, right? You're, it's not a one, two, three, four, five. It's, it's any one of those things. And you can experience those again, right? You can, you can start off with depression, move to anger, come back to depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it, it's just, it's going to be different depending on where you're at at that time. Uh, and so I think that's, it's really interesting to, to think about the fact that we do have those stages. And even if we don't go through them in the exact order that it's always laid out in, and you know, it's, it's, it's messy and it's complicated and we go back and forth, the acceptance, right? You know, the, the old saying, uh, this, may, this may even be from one of the, uh, the Kung Fu Panda movies. Uh, <laughs> and I have a point, I promise. I have a point, I promise. Uh, I believe I believe what they say is that uh, scars fade, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so wounds heal and scars fade, right? So there, there was a, a time in my life where there was a huge scar on my knee from when I when I uh, fell on these these metal bleachers that we had at my high school football stadium. Uh, I had a cut on my knee and I had to get stitches, and there was a big scar there. You can't really see it now because that's been. I don't know, eight years or something like that since, since that happened. Uh, I'm not actually going to do the math, but uh, you can't really see that. But I still know it's there. I still remember that day. I still remember the things that led up to it and the things that happened after I hurt my knee. And, it, it, you know, it, and it's helped me to learn from that because now every time I'm at that stadium or I'm at somewhere that has those kind of cheese grater steps or something <laughs> like, the, like the stadium did – I'm more careful on those than I was when I was in fourth grade mm-hmm. because I remember the fact that those hurt. <laughs> let's, let's try not to fall on those again. And so I think that, and, and something, it's something that we've talked about on the show before is that pain is, is really a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it helps you to know that something is wrong, mm-hmm. right? When I, when I hurt my knee, when I was in pain because of my knee, that's my body's reaction of saying, Hey, something's wrong. In this case, there was a, chunk of skin missing from my knee, mm-hmm. right? But it's, it's the same way with, with, you know, emotional things as well. Right? You, you brought up the example of someone losing their spouse, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, there's a, a preacher that I know from, from back home. 
uh, his wife died from COVID. It was a very, very mm-hmm. difficult experience for, for everyone involved because uh, she was, you know, still fairly young and, and had, had two kids and, you know, they were just, ev- everyone loved her. And so it was so hard to see her go, but he's been able to move on because he's, he's, you know, he's, he's been able to accept the fact that God is, is in control and that God has a plan and that God knows better than he does. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he's even started to, to, to date again. And, you know, he's, uh, from this little I've talked to him, he seems to be in a very happy and fulfilling and, and uplifting lifting relationship with someone who lost her husband mm-hmm. recently. So they're, those, those two are coming together and they're, and they're helping kind of pull each other out of this grief. And that goes back to the point that we were talking about, you know, we can't do this alone. Right. Uh, there's, there's no amount of self-confidence or self-willpower that you can have to pull yourself out of this. Mm-hmm. You can try, you may even succeed for a little bit, but it's not lasting. Mm-hmm. It's not permanent. We need people. We're, we have been created by God as social creatures. We're not supposed to be hermits. We're not supposed to be, you know, complete and total introverts who don't talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. We, we have been created as social, social creatures because we cannot do this alone. Mm-hmm. I, I think back to the garden, right? Adam was there and he was, he was naming all the, all the critters and, you know, all the critters had their, their mate to, to help them. And Adam was by himself, and God said it's not fitting for man to be by himself. Mm-hmm. We have been created as these, these social creatures that need one another. And, and I'm, I'm, this is my tangent for the episode. Uh, <laughs> always got to have one. Uh, th- but this is why I'm so, so confused when people say that they love God, but they don't want to go to church. That's, I mean, the whole point of the church is to be encouraged to lift one another up, uh, the, the passage in Hebrews 10 talks about encouraging one another and stirring up love and stirring up good works and, and, and helping one another. That's the point of assembling together. It's to grow closer together because we need other people. And, of course, we need God. Yeah. But it's, it's, hard, it's sometimes hard for us to, to see that. And so it's easier for us to uh, lean on the people that are closest. Most definitely. You know, you were talking about uh, leaning on other people and whatnot. You know, I was thinking... Oftentimes, we, whenever grief happens in our life, I think we go really quick to questioning, why did this happen to me? Why is this, uh, why is this circumstance uh, affecting me? Um, and we sort of ask, why God? And, um, and whenever we do that, I think we often have a negative perception on grief, in which it's understandable because grief is not anything that we want to happen in our life. But at the same time, whenever we do experience grief, I think it gives us a story to share afterwards, and we're able to help people better than what we were able to before. And we'll talk about helping others with grief in just a second. Yeah, that's a great point. And the relatability aspect Mm -hmm. of grief, it gives you a connection with people that those who haven't experienced really tough times don't have. But one of the things that I do, I teach uh, in the graduate school here, a class called Seminar in Job. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's coming up this spring. That's just a plug (laughs) for any of your listeners. Uh, But one of the things I ask students to do is to write a paper on the problem of good. And I I do that for two reasons. Number one, philosophically, most people have never thought about good as a problem. Mm -hmm. But if I am required logically to justify good in my life, I've got to come up with some sort of meritocratic idea that I have done enough or perhaps just by virtue of my existence, I deserve good things. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
you cannot prove that very well from a logical perspective. And so our baseline assumption is we deserve good. All right. Well, what if we don't have that assumption? What if we deserve nothing? Certainly based on our own merit. I mean, we know from a biblical perspective that's the case. Well, that opens us up to consider everything God does for us in the totality of it, mm-hmm. which there is a lot more good than there is bad. And so that helps to be more spiritually grounded whenever you think about good as a problem that must be justified rather than just evil as a problem that must be justified. And so I feel like that can be a very healthy process for people to go through too, is to think through philosophically, why do I deserve the things that I have that are good? Mm -hmm. And then it will maybe make more sense out of the things that are bad. That, that, uh, that reminds me of the old hymn, Count Your Blessings, right? Yeah, right. right. That, uh, that was actually the first song that I learned to lead uh, when I was, uh, you know, just became a Christian because uh, it's, a, it's a simple song. But even though it's a, it's a simple song with a, a simple melody, the, the lyrics are just so powerful, right? And, and it, it, whenever we sing that song at church, it, it makes me stop and think, you know, or at least usually sometimes I, I don't always, but, you know, it, it should the point of the song is just to make you stop and think, you know, despite all the things that have happened to me, all the grief that I've had to endure, there's still God, mm-hmm. right? And as we talked about, he's, he's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all peace. And as we, we know from uh, James and Ephesians, God is not only the giver of every good and perfect gift, but uh, Paul says in Ephesians that he is the giver of every spiritual blessing. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the fact that, like you said, we from a biblical perspective, we deserve nothing. Mm-hmm. But God has still blessed us incredibly, especially in this country. Uh, you know, I was I was uh, I was at church camp recently, and, and one of my responsibilities was to sit at security just to make sure you know no one came in who wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, but I, I was always given the the early morning shift, so it was I think like eight thirty to nine thirty or something like that. So you know, I would wake up a little bit earlier and go into the uh, kitchen and snack a little breakfast and then walk down and, and go, do guard duty. And it was just always so peaceful. And I, I was, I was very thankful to have that time by myself to just sit down and, and look at this beautiful campground and, and, and take in the, the nature around me and just, you know, sit and breathe the, the clean air at this beautiful camp. And it was, it was a very, very, it, that, that whole week was just a great experience. And I, I, that's, again, that goes back to the whole social aspect that we were talking about earlier. You know, when we are able to go to those things like church camps or retreats or, or, you know, men's days or ladies days or gospel meetings or things of that nature, we're we're putting in the effort to draw closer to each other. And of course, we're also trying to draw closer to God. And when we do that, that's when we, you know, when when we're in the presence of, of God, that's when we get the comfort that we need. That's when we get the strength that we need. That's when we get the encouragement that we need. And like you were talking about earlier, Walker, when we have those things, when we recognize what God has done for us, we can help shed that light to someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I've talked about on the show a lot, well, maybe not a lot, but fairly often is, you know, the first semester I was here, I was, I was in a relationship and, you know, it, it ended poorly and it, it hurt. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that happened within that whole situation that just confused me and, 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 you know, hurt me. And I, I had no idea what was going on. And I, I was, I was even at the point where I was questioning, is, is God there? Right. Is he listening to me? Mm-hmm. Cause it, at that point I felt like I was saying the same prayer over and over again mm-hmm. and not getting any results because I was so focused 
on what was happening. I didn't, I didn't notice all the things that God was doing kind of behind the scenes and all the comfort that he was providing to me through uh, the, the people here and through my family and, and, and things of that nature. And so, but now that it's been, you know, uh, almost a year since that happened, you know, I've been able to just step back and I've worked through those stages of grief, right? And, you know, hopefully at least now settled in acceptance, obviously, you know, <laughs> bounce back and forth sometimes. But, you know, the point is that because I, I went through that, uh, I've been able to help other people when they're going through something similar in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, it still baffles me to say it, but I'm thankful for what happened. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it doesn't make sense that I'm thankful for it mm-hmm. until you think about that, the fact that because I was able to experience that and, and come out on the other side, mm-hmm. I can help people going through the same thing. And that's exactly what Paul says in, in the beginning of Second Corinthians. You know, we referenced it earlier to say that God is the God of all comfort. But later in that passage, just a few verses down, he says that because God is the God of all comfort, when he comforts us, we can comfort other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a, it's a beautiful cycle. Uh, you know, and obviously, like you said, Walker, we don't want to experience grief. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. And that's often because when we're in the moment, that's all we're focused on. Mm-hmm. But when we can get through that and, and, and look at it from a different perspective, you know, when we're able to take that step back, that's when we're really able to see that God is at work. And, uh, this isn't an, uh, an actual scripture notation as some people think it is, but the Lord works in mysterious ways, mm-hmm. right? And when I was going through that, that breakup, I didn't understand what God was doing. And I probably still don't fully understand what God was doing uh, with that circumstance. But it's, been able, it's allowed me to grow. It's allowed me to really conquer doubt for the first time I've ever had to in my life. Because, you know, I grew up going to church. My, my father's a minister. So I've, I've, never, I've never had to experience doubt uh, in a powerful nature like that. Mm-hmm. So, but now that I've, I've come through it and I've, I'm, I've worked through that and I've... I'm able to help other people now. Again, I, I can't say that I know the full extent of what God was doing there, but it, it's definitely for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you had asked me that six months ago or whatever, I would not have said that. <laughs> but it, the, the, the phrase again, time heals all wounds, it's true. It's just maybe not as quick as we would like sometimes. Well, you, you mentioned something there, uh, Isaiah, about understanding. And uh, one of the things that strikes me about the book of Job is God does not need Job to understand. He needs Job to surrender to his will. And I think that one of the, the cycles that we sometimes get caught in in the midst of grief is we try to figure out why mm-hmm. and uh, what is causing this. You know, causality is one of the most difficult things to determine in human thought, right? You rarely know actually what causes a thing to happen. And much more often, causality is a very complicated affair. And so I think that understanding is where we can really get stuck in our faith. God doesn't ever really ask people in the Bible to understand what he's doing or why he's doing it. Because that would require us to think on a level that I think we're not capable of. Um, But he does ask us to surrender to his will. And I think that's Paul's point about faith in Romans chapter 4 with Abraham. That Abraham obeyed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He didn't understand what God was asking him to do, 
but he still did what God was asking him to do. And that's why faith is such a powerful tool in the arsenal of the Christian is because it gives us the power to advance through any situation, good or bad. Something that someone told me about the book of Job once that I thought was really, really interesting was that, you know, you know, of course, everything in the, in the beginning that happens to Job happens and he loses everything and his family and his health and, and all of that. And then the, uh, the biggest part of the book of Job is his three friends or his four friends. One comes in later, yeah. his four friends and, and his wife basically all telling him, hey, look, it's either you screwed up and God's punishing you or God's just not that good of a, of a person. Right. It's either you messed up and you earned it or God's being unfair. And Job refuses to accept either of these explanations, uh, which we know is true. But then towards the end of the book, he, he finally, you know, once he's by himself, he starts to, to question, you know, what is going on, God? Why, why is this happening? And as you pointed out, God doesn't really give Job understanding. From what we see in Scripture, Job never finds out about the conversation that happened between God and Satan in chapter 1 of that book. Uh, instead of answering Job's question of why is this happening, God simply says, Job, were you there when the world was created? Job, can you tell me about the Leviathan? Tell, tell me about that. Do you know who created that? Me, right? And, and the, the whole point of, of that, from, from my understanding, is, is like you said, God's not giving Job understanding, but he's giving Job a, a foundation. He's giving Job shelter. He's, he's, he's not answering Job's question, but he is saying, you don't need to know because I know. You don't need to understand because I understand. And so Job is, is comforted by the fact that God says, you don't need to worry about this because it's under my control. And I think that really, really speaks to how, how it works today with, with God, mm-hmm. right? We don't understand what's happening. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen three minutes from now. Mm-hmm. Who knows where we'll be in the script if we're even in the script, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the, the point is that we are not in control. There are only two things in this life that we can control. ourselves and how we react to things that are out of our control. We can't control other people. We can't control weather. We can't control anything but ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so when we realize how really feeble we are and, and, and powerless we are in contrast to God who created the universe just by speaking it into existence... Mm-hmm. That should really put it into your perspective of, I should not lean on my own understanding, as, as the, the Proverbs writer says in, in chapter 3. I should not lean on my own understanding. I should trust in God. Why? Because he knows what's going on. He has a plan. He has understanding. I don't. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes, like, like we said, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord is going to lead you on a path that, you know, it may not, you may not expect, uh, but... It, it's going to be the best path for you. I was reading recently from uh, Exodus chapter 14 where God is leading the nation of Israel out of slavery with the pillars of fire and the pillar of cloud. Mm-hmm. And something that popped up to me when I was reading that was that uh, as soon as they left Egypt, God decided to take them in a way that avoided the land of the Philistines because uh, they had been in captivity for 400 or so years. They didn't know war. Right? It says that they were equipped for war. They had all the weapons and things they might have needed if they got into combat. But mentally, the people of Israel were not ready to fight anything. And God knew if they hit the land of the Philistines, they were going to get socked in the mouth and turned back towards Egypt. 
And so God leads them in a, in a kind of a roundabout way, you know, taking the scenic route almost. And, and he leads them away from the nation of the Philistines because he knows that they can't handle it. He is protecting them. He is leading them. He is providing for them. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you the nation of Israel had no idea why they were going that way. Right. We can see in the passage that Pharaoh definitely didn't. In his mind, he, he, what he saw was that they were wandering and they were lost in the wilderness. And so that's what motivates him to chase after them. And, and that's where we get the story of the Red Sea crossing. So Pharaoh definitely didn't understand. I can almost guarantee you the people of Israel didn't understand why they were taking such an odd route. But God knew. God had understanding. And God was leading his people and he was there with them the whole time. We've been looking at uh, different examples in the Bible. We've focused heavily on Job with dealing with grief and whatnot. But I think there's uh, other places that are great places to look as well. Um, Psalm 6, we, we talked about Psalm uh, the Psalms a little bit earlier, and I think Psalm six is another place to go to to talk about this idea of grief. And here David is in great distress uh, in the Psalm, but he acknowledges uh, the fact that God is disciplining him for his actions. And uh, Isaiah, did you have a thought? Well, I was just going to say I think before we mm-hmm. continue, I think we, what it would be really helpful to read the Psalm. Okay, uh, it's only ten verses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Psalm six, reading from the ESV, David says. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with my tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because all of my foes. So that, those are the first seven verses. And as you said, Walker, David hears he's in great distress, right? He, he, he recognizes that God is, is disciplining him for something that he has done. And, and he doesn't say in the beginning what happens. Uh, some Psalms, like Psalm 51, we're told that it's written after his affair with Bathsheba, uh, but we're not told exactly what's going on in this, in this Psalm. Maybe it's after he uh, committed the sin of, of organizing the senses of his people. Maybe it's something that we don't read about in the scriptures. Whatever the case may be, David recognizes the fact that God is, is punishing him almost for uh, his sin, and, and now his enemies are surrounding him. They're, they're on the rise. They're attacking him. And so David is calling out to God, and his heart is just filled with grief and laments. He says that he is languishing. He says that every night he floods his bed with tears, and his couch is drenched with weeping, and his eye is wasting away because of grief. So David is, is so sorrowful and so full of grief and, and, and mourning that he is just devastated by what's happening. But listen to the end of the psalm. Like, like you were mentioning earlier, Dr. Rogers, you know, there's a lot of these psalms that will start off with this great, you know, kind of exclamation against God. And then it will end up with something along the lines of, but I still trust in you. And that kind of confuses us. But, but look at what David says at the end of this psalm, starting in verse 8. He says, Depart from me, all you workers of, le- of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea 
the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So David, he knows that what's happening is because of his own sin. He recognizes that God is disciplining him. But he also knows that God is a forgiving God. And I think, I think the psalm really shows the, the two natures of God. Right? We have the, the, you know, the, the kind of Old Testament God that some people refer to this as, where you know, it's all justice and, and power and wrath and, and discipline. And then we have the, what some people refer to as the New Testament God, which is full of mercy and grace and love. And, of course, we, we know when we understand that that is the same God, right? It's not two different gods for two different covenants. It's the same God with just who's all just but also all loving. And, of course, that gets us into the uh, topic of why he sent his son in the first place. But, you know, I just, this psalm, it's one of the most depressing psalms that I, that I could find, right? <laughs> I mean, my bed is wet with my tears, my couch is drenched with my weeping, I am languishing, I am in dread, my bones are in trouble. Like, the, what, the, the grief that David is going through in, in the psalm, it's severe. But he knows that God is there for him. And he knows that because he's going, because he's repenting and he's calling out to God, that God is going to save him, that his enemies will be put to shame. And so I think, and we're going to obviously get into this a little bit later, but this shows what to do when you're dealing with grief. And we've, we've talked about this before. Go to God. Because, again, there's lots of great people. There's lots of great therapists around here. But no one can offer you the comfort and the peace that God can. You know, David, uh, we, we talk about a lot of these biblical characters who experience grief. And we talked about how grief is experienced in our own lives as well. But even Jesus himself experienced grief. And he experienced it in the garden. And in John chapter 17, he, uh, we, we find there the account of Jesus experiencing grief. Uh, he he was about he was praying to God, but he was also crying out to God and uh, in a time of grief. And this is the final prayer before he's going to be led to be crucified. And, and and so it just goes to show that we we may we may ask God why, but he also suffered grief as well. And so he also went through the same thing that we are going through today. And so God knows what we're feeling. And David uh, definitely experienced grief, like Isaiah just uh, broke down this passage for us so beautifully. Um, in Psalm 6 and so we see that as we look throughout scripture we can come to the conclusion that number one we're not alone whenever we're experiencing grief because we have so many other places that we can turn to we have so many other places that we can look at to find examples of people who are grieving and we ourselves can be encouraged by these things because we see that they all came out uh, they all came out all right David uh, came out all right he he understood why he was grieving and Ultimately, he, he was able to work through it and different things like that. I say, yeah, that's all. Well, I was, I was going to mention that one of the most sorrowful people that we have in the, in the scriptures is the prophet Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's even called the sorrowful prophet or the weeping prophet, uh, depending on, on who you ask. And Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentation, which is, of course, a, a play on the word lament, which is an, uh, another kind of way of saying grief, Right. And so, what the, from my understanding, the reason that Jeremiah is writing this book is because he's been sent to warn uh, Judah and specifically Jerusalem about the incoming invasion of Babylon. 
And, he, and he's saying, if you don't turn from your sins, if you don't repent now, this city's going to be leveled. And no one listens. He gets put in the stocks. He gets thrown in a pit. His life is put in danger many, many times. And no one wants to listen to him. And so he writes this, this book of lamentations. He's crying out to God. He's weeping to God about what is happening in his life. And something that, you know, well, the, the psalm reminded me of, Psalm 6 and verse 4, uh, David says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Uh, Jeremiah makes a very similar statement in Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, in Lamentations chapter 3, in the, in the middle of his book, you know, about lamenting, about grieving, in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So God's not going to save us because of our own merit. God's not going to save us because it's something that we deserve. He's saving us because it's his nature. He is our Lord. He is our loving Savior. And his love, his mercies never end. Yeah. One of the things about Lamentations that's interesting to note is the Hebrew title for Lamentations is Echa. And that's the first word of the book. And that word is how, question mark, H-O-W, how. How could this happen? Mm -hmm. How did this happen? You know, that sort of thing. And so the whole book is really trying to make sense out of what caused this. How could God love these people and yet bring such rampant destruction? And um, another point is the passage you referred to in Lamentations chapter 3 is more than likely the structural center of the book because it's entirely unlike everything else around it. It's like gloom and doom and death and then hope. And so a lot of times Eastern literature is not written like Western literature where we have like thesis statement, main points, and it sort of develops in a linear fashion. In Eastern literature, often the main point is in the middle and it is set off as the main point by contrasting such an incredible contrast of styles. And when you read the book of Lamentations, you'll see that the verses you referred to are so different. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point, that yes, even in the midst of despair, and if you want to think of it like this, it's sort of an embodiment of the emotions of the people, that we're surrounded by devastation and destruction, but we can still be centered around the love and mercy of God. Yeah. Another example of that, unless I'm mistaken, uh, is, is Romans chapter 7, where, where Paul is working through this argument, uh, and he's building up this, this statement, and he's, he's talking about how you know we are sinful creatures and he points out how you know he wants to follow God but his his fleshly desires keep getting in the way and he's building this up and he's building this up and finally he comes to this exclamation at the end of the chapter and he says oh wretched man that I am who can save me from my sins only Jesus right and then he goes into chapter 8 which is such a well, I hope you're not too depressed by listening to our episode yet, but in <laughs> case you are, we're going to talk about some practical ways that you can deal with grief um, because I think dealing with grief is one of the hardest things to do, but hopefully these applications are simple and hopefully they can help you in your everyday life. I think first off, it's it's important to establish that number one, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to, um, it's okay to uh, express well, I guess I should say it's okay to mourn because as Dr. Rogers pointed out earlier, it's maybe not the best to grieve, but to mourn and to express outwardly um, your sorrow and you know, the things that you're going through um, and whatnot, then that that's all right. But it, it's okay to do that and don't let anyone else 
tell you differently because that's human nature. We're designed to do that. We have to for self-care and different things like that. And then I also think it's important that, like as we talked about throughout this whole episode and as we looked at different passages that relate the same idea, seek God for help. Because as Isaiah mentioned, as Dr. Rogers mentioned, there's only one there's only one person who can help us through these things, and that is God himself. And if we try to seek anyone else or we try to seek anything else to try to find the fulfillment that we're searching for that only God can provide, we're not going to find it. And so we need to seek God and him alone. And how do we do that? We do it through prayer. Prayer is our superpower. And so... First Thessalonians 5.17, we say it a lot, pray without ceasing. Three powerful words, but very important in our lives as well. I think an additional verse that we need to look at for this is James chapter 5 and verse 13. And I think in this verse, we really the, the author is really just trying to make sure that we have our focus right at all times in our life. So in James chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So whether you're on the mountain or you're in the valley, look to God. Mm-hmm. And I really want to focus on the first part of that verse. He says that anyone among you suffering, let him pray. You know, as we've talked about, God is the God of all comfort. When you're suffering, God wants to be there for you. He wants to comfort you. And he's, he's going to, but you have to call out to him first. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a point that I've used with, with this passage before is that it's not, you know, our power Right, you, you you said it's our superpower, and I, I agree with that. But it's not necessarily because of who we are. Right, right. We can look back at the, at the the Psalm six, and we look back at Lamentations chapter three. It's because of God's steadfast love. Mm-hmm. It's not because of us. It's not because of our merit. It's not because we're you know. Uh, it's not because we have power. If we had power, we wouldn't need to pray. We would yes. just fix things. Mm-hmm. But we don't have power, mm-hmm. and so we really need to focus. On God and, and, and say whether I'm having a good day or whether I'm having a bad day, I'm going to praise the Lord and I'm going to go to him to and I'm going to try to be more like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I would say about First Thessalonians five seventeen and pray without ceasing, people get distressed about what that means. I think it's important to remember that means really pray anytime, not pray all the time. Mm. Yeah. Right. It would it would be uh, impossible for us to, to to pray all the time and still you know fulfill all the other responsibilities that we have been given. Right, right. we're supposed to evangelize, but we can't evangelize if we spend all our time in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, prayer is a great thing. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't pray at all. Uh, again, the verse says pray without ceasing, mm-hmm. and I think I think as Doctor Rogers pointed out, that's not necessarily supposed to be taken exactly literally with that. It's it's hyperbole, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know. Uh, if, you and I were going to go to dinner, Walker, and I said, I'm so hungry I can eat a whole cow. I'm not actually going to be able to eat a whole cow. Those are massive animals. Mm-hmm. But it's it's understood in that context that, you know, I, I'm just really hungry, mm-hmm. right? And so I I'm, I'm, can't wait until we go get something to eat. Uh, so Paul there, he's using hyperbole. He's using this you know, expressive language to, to really represent how often we should be praying, how often we should be calling on God. Because, again... We are powerless. We are weak. We are finite. But God is powerful and mighty and infinite. Mm-hmm. And he's all-knowing as well. And, he, and he's a great source to go to to ask for wisdom. Um, and he's someone that we can turn to to not only ask for wisdom, but ask for patience as well. Uh, and strength to just do the right thing. Um, and so it's important that 
we have the the best source to turn to, so why not turn to it? Because he can provide us, as we mentioned, the comfort that surpasses all understanding. And, um, and you know, this is ironic to say, but there's joy in our trials, um, and there's joy in suffering. Uh, the Bible even talks about that. Um, and uh, I want to say it's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, that talks about the idea of, it, it compares the Christian life to a race. But, mm-hmm. the, uh, but in the first few verses, it talks about um, count it all, no, I'm sorry, that's James that I'm talking about. James chapter 1, one, one yeah, and 1 and 2. Um, and so that's talking about count it all joy, brethren, that you experience trials. Um, and so, you know, th- that's also listed here right in front of my face. I don't know why I mentioned Hebrews. Um, but, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to, in our trials, not, not, and whenever we say this, we don't mean like whenever you experience a trial, we'll be like, oh, yay, I'm happy about this trial. You know, no, but like, uh, it, it's more of, you know, there, there's something greater on the other side. We have a greater hope to look forward to. For us Christians, we have the hope of heaven to look forward to. And I hope every, I hope everyone's goal is to get to heaven. And so that's ultimately the thing that we're striving for. And so that's the joy that we get to experience because we know what's coming uh, beyond this trial. We know what's coming beyond this time of grieving. We know that we, we are working towards a greater reward. And so, um, and then we also just need to allow others to help us um, because we can't handle everything on our own. Yes, God's God's there to help us, and sometimes we just need to talk to others, talk to our friends. I say, I just I just want to go back real real quick and talk mm-hmm. about the point about there is joy in our trials, mm-hmm. right? You know, I, I mentioned the the breakup earlier in this episode, and, and how you know now that I'm past that, I'm thankful for it. You know, I, I'm, and I'm thankful for the experience that I had with this young lady, and 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 for the the uh, the fond memories that I have of, of you know that relationship and and the growth that came because of the the uh, grief that I was experiencing and I think it's uh, it's also important to remember Romans chapter eight and verse eighteen. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture it's one that I bring up all the time on the show because it, it just I feel like it it ties into everything that we we talk about uh, Romans chapter eight and verse eighteen. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are going to be things in this life that are difficult. There are going to be things in this life that bring us grief, that bring us sorrow. We're going to suffer, especially if we're trying to live as God told us to live, because it's countercultural, right? When we're doing what God has told us to do, we're going against everything the world is telling us to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be difficult. There's going to be people going to be people who don't like us because of that. So there's going to be suffering in this world, especially if you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. But as you pointed out, Walker, and and as the old song says, this world is not my home. Mm -hmm. I'm just a passing through Mm -hmm. this, this earth as beautiful as it is. And as blessed as we are to live on it, it's temporary. It will pass away. I'm reminded of, of Revelation chapter 21, where John receives a vision of the new heaven and the new earth coming down, along with the new Jerusalem, who uh, is representing the church and, and the bridegroom of Christ. And it says in that passage in verse 4 that God will wipe away all tears. That in this new Jerusalem, in this new heaven, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. And that's the glory that's going to be revealed to us that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in a land that is filled with love and joy and peace because we are in the presence of God, who is the father of all love and joy and peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
a little bit of a side note, but that, that's what makes hell so bad. It's, it's yes, you're going to be punished eternally for your actions in hell. You know, the, the actions that you do here on earth, you're going to be punished for those eternally if you go to hell. But the real, the, the, the really bad part about it is that the fact that you're separated from God. Uh, we, we read the, the parable of the, of the rich man and, and the, the beggar Lazarus, right? And the rich man lived in, in comfort all his life and Lazarus lived in torment all his life. And then, but because Lazarus feared God, he ended up in heaven and, and the rich man ended up in hell. And we're told about that, that barrier you can't cross over and, you're, and how that separates you from God. When you're in hell, you're away from God. You're out of his presence. You're no longer under his wing. And so you don't receive any love or joy or peace or, uh, or uh, shelter or comfort. That's what makes hell so bad. It's because when you're away from God, when you're out of his presence, you don't receive any of those things. And so, and you're not going to get any of those things forever. Yeah. And, uh, and now I want to bring in Dr. Rogers because, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, praying to God whenever we're experiencing grief and different things like that. And I think, uh, and I think oftentimes whenever someone is experiencing a trial, we often say, pray about it. And yeah. I know this is not a, this is not necessarily the question in here, but I want to add this to the question that's uh, on the sheet. And that is, you know, what's a different way that we can approach someone whenever they say that they're experiencing something instead of just saying, pray about it. Although prayer, as we have established, is a very good way to handle grief and stuff like that. I feel like to some people it can come across as the nonchalant way of just uh, saying this is how to handle your issue and go ahead on about your way and stuff like that. So how else can we help someone whenever, whenever they say that they're experiencing grief? How else can we as Christians help someone with their grief? Well, the most important thing, in my opinion, I've learned in ministry is just be willing to listen to people. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of times what people are looking for really is not a solution to their problems. And I'm not sure very many of us are capable of even offering a solution. Right. Uh, I think that one of the best things that you can do with people is just let them tell their story and express their grief and be willing to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And that can be hard work sometimes. Uh, it can be very hard not to judge them mm -hmm. uh, or not to offer them a solution to their problems, uh, but simply to let them talk to you and get it out. But oftentimes that's the very thing that they need the most. Most definitely. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. I think listening is key. Um, recently I started a volunteer position with um, Crisis Text Line. And so um, helping people who are experiencing grief in their lives, they, they text into us and they, they talk about things that they're struggling with. And one of the things that they tell, or one of the things that we covered in, during our training was about validation and validating the person and telling them that they're not alone. And so whenever someone is suicidal and they're and they're wanting to uh end their life and different things like this uh, we we go through helping them understand their value and their worth and different things like that and so it's important that whenever you're dealing with someone who's going through grief and by no way are we mental health experts in any way shape or form but we think that validation is key whenever it comes to uh, helping someone with their grief and reminding them that they're not alone and understanding that every situation is different and that your situation that you may have experienced in your life may not be what they're experiencing. So you may not be able to relate in the same way, but you're at least there, like Dr. Rogers said, to listen and to help them and to let them just vent in a sense and let them get it all off their chest and um, get it out and uh, and whatnot. But uh, Isaiah, do you have any thoughts? I, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, in order to expound on that last point a little bit, mm -hmm. like, like Walker said, each person is different. Each situation is different. And, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and we have different perspectives and that kind of thing. So 
you know, an example of, of what Walker was talking about when, when I was trying to help my friends who were going through relationship troubles, uh, you know, the only thing that I really had to go back on was my own experience. Mm-hmm. And obviously each relationship was, is different because it's, you know, in my situation, it was myself and one other person. And then over here, it's two other completely different people who have done different things, have, you know, different things that they're maybe conflicted about. And so it's, it's important as Walker definitely pointed out, not to try to relate it back to your own situation all the time. Uh, that can be helpful. You know, you, you can share things that worked for you when you were going through something that may or may not be similar. But as Walker said, just letting them know that they're not alone, letting them know that someone cares for them. That's the biggest thing. And a lot of times from what I've understood is that people, sometimes they just need to get that off their chest. They're not looking for ways to solve the problem right now. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for, you know, the key to the puzzle. They're just trying to, to heal. They're just trying to, to get that burden off of them. Yeah. That's a great point. And I think you guys are making great points about every situation is different. Every individual is different. The way we grieve is different. But at the same time, we should keep in mind 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that people who are going through grief or going through suffering often do is they self-isolate. Mm-hmm. And they say, nobody has felt ever in the history of humanity the way I feel right now. Right. Nobody has had it as bad as me. Nobody feels the way I feel. And the Bible actually tells you no Lots of people have felt the way that you feel, that there's nothing new under the sun. You're not suffering in an exceptional way. And so to remind people that there are folks out there who know what they're going through, like uh, you, Isaiah, with a person struggling with relationship issues, you can speak to that because you've been through that. And so letting them know that they are not exceptional in their suffering can be really healthy also. Most definitely. Most definitely. And as Dr. Rogers mentioned earlier, another helpful way to help someone dealing with grief is not to solve their problem um, and or uh, unless they ask you to um, because oftentimes I think I'm guilty of this. I try to help people solve their problem instead of uh, just listening to them. And so uh, c- taking on the role that I've taken on uh, with the crisis text line has taught me not to solve people's problems and just let them let them vent and let them tell me what they want me to do for them and stuff like that. And so I think that's also very important as well. And then lastly, as we talked about this episode, pray with them and, uh, and, and help them through it, uh, and, and help them understand that God is there to help them and pray with them and, uh, remind them to keep on praying about it and different things like that. And it may be like what Isaiah mentioned earlier, whenever he was in his situation, it felt like he was repeating the same prayer over and over and over again, but eventually he figured out, uh, God's plan and God's plan ultimately came to fruition, although it felt like a repetitive process over and over and over again. Prayer works, and so it can be like that sometimes. Yeah, Luke 18 and verse 1, mm-hmm. the parable of the persistent widow is all about how people ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Any final thoughts, Isaiah, before we start to wrap it up? I just want to say, again, that you know, if you are dealing with grief, we, we are here for you. We want to be here for you. We want to... To, to listen to you and, and, and help you in any way we, that we can. And we, we definitely love to, uh, to pray about whatever that is, uh, whatever it is that you're going through. Uh, so you can, you know, send us prayer requests through our Facebook or our Instagram or our phone number or our website. And, you know, we, we have all of these different ways that you can contact us if, if you want to reach out uh, and, and talk about what's going on in your life. 
or if you have any questions about what we've talked about in this episode regarding the scriptures, or if you have any questions about something else that we've talked about in another episode or something that maybe we haven't covered in an episode yet about the scriptures, we would love to sit down and talk with you about that if you are willing and able to do so with an open mind. And some more exciting news, uh, we have Season 3 coming out on September 10th. Um, We are excited about that. We are uh, planning to record those episodes in the next few weeks, and so those are going to be some great episodes. We're dealing with doctrinal issues during Season 3, and so that's going to be a fun season. Um, We're going to get into a lot of good stuff, so we hope that you set your phones and your reminders and calendars to September 10th as we'll be releasing our first episode um, uh, for season three. Uh, this concludes the season or the special guest season, our first one of it. And we are so thankful that Dr. Rogers was able to close us out for this season. And we're thankful for his willingness to come and to join us in talking about this difficult topic of grief, but it's definitely a topic that needs to be discussed as well. And so like Isaiah said, make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, uh, and check out our website, bookmark it in your favorites, and that way you can we can always be there as a resource for you. I, um, I don't I don't think we mentioned the, the actual names of those. We should uh, we should we should give those. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram, it's t t e o j underscore podcast. Again, t t e o j underscore podcast. And then on Facebook, you should find us on, as through the eyes of Jesus. We also have the website t t e o j dot com, and we have a. Phone number, what is it, Walker? 731-439-9671. So you can, you can text us. Uh, you can message us on any of those platforms. Uh, you can try calling us at that number, but please keep in mind that we are both full-time college students. <laughs> uh, so we may not be able to answer it. Uh, Leave us a message, though. Right. And so but any way that you want to get in contact with us, we would love to, to sit down and talk with you. And, and, and I hope that this episode has, has helped you. Uh, if you're in a time of grief, it helps you understand what you can do. Or if you know someone who is in a time of grief, uh, this has been very insightful for you as well. Uh, if there's nothing further, I think, Walker, would you close us out in prayer? Yeah, let's do it. Father, we love you and we are so thankful for you and everything that you've done for us. We're thankful for your great mercy, your great love, and your, your wonderful amount of grace that you give us each and every day. We're so thankful to be called your child. We're so thankful to be able to have this avenue of prayer, to be able to communicate with you our struggles, but also the good times in life, and to just have that open line of communication with you where you're able to help us and give us uh, the wisdom and the knowledge that we may need in order to help us through whatever we may be going through in life. We're just so thankful for uh, all the blessings that you give us, and we pray that we can continue to count our blessings one by one, as we mentioned in this episode, and we can continue to, uh, whenever we are grieving, to find the bright side in it and to uh, know that the grief is only temporarily, but there's such a greater reward that waits us on the other side, and if we keep on pushing towards that heavenly home and we keep Jesus in the center of our lives, we can conquer any trial that may come our way. We can conquer any situation that we may face. We're so thankful for you and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We're thankful for Dr. Rogers and uh, his um, studies and his willingness to come and to discuss this topic with us. We pray that you bless him and his ministry and as he continues to go and do your good work. Uh, be with us as we uh, are uh, as we continue to do your work throughout the kingdom and uh, help us to uh, do it in a way that is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Be with all those who are listening. Help them in their lives, in their own individual ways, and strengthen them and guide them in only ways that you know how. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.